Hello and welcome to Claret and Blue. This is our first podcast of 2024. Happy New Year to everyone watching or listening. Happy New Year to you, John. Uh, how are you, mate? You okay? Happy New Year. Yeah, well, thanks, Dan. Um, start of the January window now. It's getting a bit busy, so I'm doing well. Prepared for yeah, what I expect will be a busy month. <laughs> that isn't to like cause any like you know. Um, just <laughs> but I was signing month. loads of players. Is that what you're saying? No, it's just a busy month when we work in football and the job we do. It's going to be a lot of. Uh, yeah, a lot of long days, but now I'm doing well, thank you. I will just say before we get started, you're not in your usual house, so you don't have your microphone or anything, and you've got a jazzy blue wall background, uh, looking good. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, you could probably notice that as soon as you uh, clicked on the video, <laughs> but um, yeah, new jazzy background, this isn't to stay, uh, it might be seen in another podcast later in the year, who knows, but yeah, uh, I'm in my girlfriend's uh, house at the moment, so yeah, it all will be back to normal from tomorrow so yeah, yeah. don't, don't okay. worry it's not here to stay maybe redecorate your own house in the in the same fashion <laughs> to match <laughs> yeah it could, uh, could, do. could take a while let's get into it then uh we're here for a q a mostly today i think is, is what we're going to talk about uh there's a couple of other little bits and pieces around the edges i want to talk about as well including jamie carragher and gary neville's team of the seasons because uh, i feel like we have to mention it because everyone's talking about it online at the moment before yeah. we get into that though john my first question this is based off a youtube comment after the burnley post-match show uh, from Jake who said I bumped into the special John Townley and he put John Townley in quotes as well like as if that's not your real name which I always quite enjoy when people do things like that I bumped into John Townley on the train from Witten to New Street I was so starstruck and drunk that I forgot to ask him the key question why has Unai Emery turned the dugout into a convertible I like it but I need some context so I'll answer that in a second he also says oh and the ladies on the train love John what are these ladies, John? You said you were at a girlfriend's house. Who are these ladies on yeah, the train? I'd, I'd love explaining to do. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> that was, I said to some of my mates, it's probably the most bizarre interaction I've had with another human being, um, or human <laughs> beings, <laughs> for a long time. No, Jack was sound, though. Obviously a little bit drunk, but that's fine. Um, no, he just came up to me and obviously spoke about the podcast, spoke about the villa, and bits and bobs, and then... Um, yeah the three women who i presume i think they were going to wolverhampton they thought i played up front for aston villa and that wow. i wrote books after searching my name on twitter or whatever so um they thought i'd just come back from the game and <laughs> that i was writing about the game you know that you played two hours after exactly that um <laughs> so yeah strange and then yeah jake's saying that no 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 he's more famous than a footballer etc etc cetera, et cetera. so yeah bizarre and luckily the train was just pulling into new street but um, no great to meet jake it was just the uh the the <laughs> to be honest, a lot more happened that i don't remember um yeah comical stuff and yeah nice to oh. always meet fans but that was a strange uh interaction for sure yeah, excellent. I love that. Uh, just quickly on the dugouts, do we know why Uno's done that? Is that an actual thing that he, <clears throat> he wants to be, I don't know, closer to the atmosphere or something? He wants to hear more? Is, is that a thing? Yeah, I heard that before as well. Um, I think that is probably the case. I don't know if it's a regulation either. I don't know. Um I wondered me. whether it was something about being in Europe that maybe like the dugouts yeah. were the wrong size or something and Villa had to change it, but they've not done anything about it since. So I, I do wonder whether it's an actual choice from Villa to, to move like, the Perspex roof or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was like a UEFA or like regulation. But at the same time, yeah, I'd heard before that it was um, to kind of feel the atmosphere a bit more. Because to be fair, when when it was the old dugout, um, well, well, literally from last season and before then, it was quite closed off. Um, mm. 
I don't particularly know why. I know a lot of stadiums have that open look now, like Liverpool, Anfield have it. I know Wolves don't. They have similar to what we had before and it's like a long way from the support as much, which must feel a bit weird. So, um, no, I, I like it and I don't think there's any trouble that could be caused either because you're only backing on to like some fans in the Trinity, you know, you, they're not going to be throwing bottles and stuff at the away players, are they? Because that's a permanent ban from football and, you know, much more probably. So, yeah, uh, I like it. And that's probably the reason, just to feel close to the sports. Let's do some questions then before we get into Neville and Carragher, although they are on the thumbnail, uh, by the way, because it is a talking point. Uh, let's start with AVFC Faithful, as always. Uh, there's a question from AVFC Faithful. I don't know his real name, by the way, but there's always a question from him every week. This week, he went to ChatGPT to ask a question. And said, I'll, I'll let AI ask you a question instead. So what the AI have given us is, considering Aston Villa's recent form and performances, are there specific areas in the squad that you believe need strengthening during the upcoming transfer window? And if so, which positions would you prioritise? Well, firstly, Emery wants to improve every position. We saw that in the summer. We improved, you know, Tyra Mings was probably one of our best players last season, as was um, you know, that kind of midfield duo of Kamara and Douglas Louise, but the first two players we signed, or two of the first players we signed, was uh, Pau Torres and Yuri Tielemans. So straight away you're thinking, oh, well, okay, you know, <laughs> there's already competition in the most competitive areas of the pitch pretty much. And we obviously saw Alex Moreno as well join when Luca Dean was playing, having just joined a year before for 25 million or so. Granted, not a Unai signing, but a player where we thought, oh, we don't have to upgrade there first. So mm. I don't think there's a specific, you know, yes, we could probably do with another, with another right back and, you know, possibly another striker or forward. But I don't think we work like that. I think we work with what comes up in terms of availability, what's going to make us better. And we know that another right back would help. And we know that... Um, you know, another holding midfielder for me would, would be key. Uh, mm. Obviously, Ben Donker's future is a bit uncertain and Tim probably needs a loan or maybe a permanent with a, a buyback clause this month. So, for me, holding midfield is key and another right back as well. But will that right back be available in January in terms of the level that we want it to be, in terms of more competition and improving that position? You know, why don't we just wait until the summer when a another player... Uh, would become available who's probably better than what we'd get in January. So it, it's a weird complex. And to be honest, I don't think we need to be spending loads of money and, you know, paying over the odds for certain players because this squad has, has proven over the last year that they can do it all. You know, obviously only mm. City have got more points in the league. <clears throat> Since the Conference League group stage started, I think Villa have got more points than anyone in the Premier League, yeah. full stop, or it's an equal amount now Liverpool have won. I'm not too sure. But they've proven that they can do it. So I don't think there's a massive need to all of a sudden spend 30, 40 million on a new right back when that right back, you know, maybe our first choice would be available in the summer. And this play that we'd sign for 30, 40 million would actually be 25 million in terms of their valuation. And we're not going to be doing that, especially with FFP and different things uh, like that. So, yeah, I, you know, my preferred role was right back DM. Those are the kind of the two standout for me. Um, but nothing would surprise me in this window if we signed you know uh, a left winger or another centre back or something like that you know just whatever improves us whatever whatever Emery thinks improves us with what what opportunities are there sorry uh, and what can we actually do with the money we have that will be the um, you know that's the aim in January it's not to overspend but it is to improve the team so you have to balance it and that's why we only signed two players last January Villa you know, wanted to sign a striker, uh, another striker, sorry. And, you know, other players 
but Emery kind of sat back and thought, well, no, because we can sign a Mr. Diaby in the summer. We can try and get Nico yeah. Williams. We can, um, you know, sign other players. So, and that's exactly what it is now. And that is the right way to do it, I think. There's a couple of questions about transfers and we could probably do a whole episode on, on the transfer window alone and we might do that in another week or two. Uh, from yeah. Gary who says, if we had two or three players in January, do we definitely make top four? If we do, is this squad then good enough to compete in the Champions League? We've struggled in the conference in a few games, which is why I asked the question. And I'll split that up in two parts. If Villa qualify for the Champions League, there's still the summer window to, to build and improve and, and make the squad better. So yeah. is the squad we've got now good enough to, to compete in the Champions League? Probably not. It probably is a little bit short to compete and, and get through the group stages of, of the Champions League, as, as we've seen with Newcastle and Manchester United both going out in the group stage. But like I said, you've got the summer window to, to go and improve again. If we had two or three players in January, do we definitely make top four? I think we definitely make top four anyway. I wouldn't say definitely myself. I, I think right now, do we deserve to be there? Absolutely. Yeah, but we're yeah. halfway through a season and... I, still look at I did say I was going to pull you up on this actually when I did the last podcast with Matt. You said for a well, long time, ask me about where Villa were going to finish after we've played everyone. Oh, after we've yeah, played yeah. 19 games, then ask me. We're second. Mm. We've played everyone. So does that affect yeah. where you think we'll finish now? It doesn't affect where I'll finish, but my point was asking me about ambitions and targets on the 19th game and that has now confirmed Champions League as the target and mm, I can't yeah. say anything else. If, if I sat here and said, oh yeah, you know, Europa League would be, you know, strong or, you know, good. It, it wouldn't, no. <laughs> Villa in a Champions League um, position right now. Yes, they're, what, three points from the top. But I don't think you can, I don't even want to have the conversation of, oh, can Villa push for the title? I don't even want to be putting that pressure on us. I just want to enjoy mm. the ride. Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah, that yeah, for me agreed. is just a, you know, you know when Emery says, oh, round 32 and game 32, that's when you can ask me about Champions League and other things. I, don't, I think the Champions League one is now for certain Villa are there because what is it nine I think it's eight points to sixth who are West Ham at the moment and then they've got obviously much better goal difference so it's basically nine points on them I think it's even more on Man United yeah, uh, obviously enough. Newcastle yeah Newcastle is about 12 or 13 points now and obviously we play both Newcastle and Man United at home so we can really blow them out of the water and blow them out of the race to be honest the Champions League at that point but for me I do look at Tottenham and I do worry about that. I'm still of the kind of, you know, if you offered me fifth, would I take it right now? I think I probably would, just because you'd like to think that would get Champions League football this season, judging by the amount of teams that are in uh, European competitions uh, from England and the kind of, you know, Villa should go far in the conference. West Ham should probably go far in the Europa League. So should uh, Liverpool. And then you've got City yeah. and Arsenal in the Champions League. Even Brighton are in the Europa League as well. So, um yeah, and by the way, if that is what's going to secure Champions League, I don't care if Tottenham finish above us. I just want Champions League. That is it. Fifth place mm -hmm. or fourth place. That's my top. If that makes sense at the moment, that that is that would just be transformational for Villa. It really would. Um, but I look at Tottenham and I think they've got some key players to come back. Van der Ven is fantastic. James Madison is one of the most creative players in the division, and it's only halfway through the season. I know we play them at home as well, but. They scare me a little bit, Tottenham, in the way that they play as well. I just think they're a very good team. And I'm not saying we're not, but I just think over the course of the year, oh, sorry, over the course of the you know the second half of the season, when Villa have got a lot to go for uh, in the Conference League, mm. you know, our blip so far has only been two games. There'll be another blip and maybe another blip to come, whereas Tottenham have got, you know, the whole week off for Premier League games. And I know they've had injuries, and yes, so have we, but those injuries have been to players who, if you put them in the side in a couple of weeks that will change them a lot. So um, I don't want to say, you know, if Villa fall out of the top four, it's not good enough or anything like that. It certainly isn't. But to fall out of fifth would be a bit of a disaster, I think, from mm. here, put it that way. Um, I'm just hoping that fifth place is going to be 
a Champions League position. But yeah, anything, anything like title talk and stuff, you know, you can talk about it if you like, but I'm not going to get sucked into it because it's not, as I said, we just need to enjoy it. If we're thinking about, oh, Liverpool are drop, uh, aren't dropping points or Man City aren't dropping points, stuff like that, it doesn't matter. Like, we'll finish where we deserve to finish. And if that is fifth, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Obviously, if that's uh, Champions League football, that is, you know, if it isn't, then we need to be aiming for fourth, of course. But yeah, Champions League football is the target this season, though. Yeah, I think that's a pretty measured response, to be honest. I, I definitely finished top four. I've been very bold on the fact that I think we'll finish in the top four since pre-season. So I am going to stick yeah. with that. I think I think Liverpool and Man City are probably going to be the top two. I think then after that, it is Spurs, Arsenal and Villa to fill out the, the remaining three places, I think. And if fifth, like you say, fifth is still Champions League, I think that's... that's you know, I would happily finish fifth if it meant it was guaranteed to, to be a Champions League spot. It's just obviously that... that jeopardy that it isn't but I do still think we'll I think I think we'll finish in the top four but I think um, yeah and I think towards the end of the season where you know we won't know if fifth place is going to be Champions League until the very end but we're going to be fourth fifth that kind of conversation aren't we so we'll always be around there yeah exactly yeah like, we talk just, about the calendar year of 2023 and you know being second being second in the real life Premier League table at the moment mm-hmm. uh, like as you said earlier since the European competition kicked off which I think is 16 games but they were top or they were top uh, in the kind of form rankings or whatever you want to call it yeah. since then so this isn't a oh, Villa are kind of sneaking up into fourth and adjusting no, around no, no. it we're, we're comfortably in not only the top four the top two and three so to drop down yeah. to fifth is it doesn't seem likely to me because because of how good we've been for an entire 12 months and yes I know we're going to come back in March with busier fixtures in the conference league and how you prioritize different things but there's nothing to suggest that we'll drop off that much is is the the mantra I'm sticking with. The only yeah, the only thing I'd say is that dropping off that much, there isn't actually a whole lot to drop off to finish fifth. Tottenham are what three or six points behind us. I'm not totally sure. I should know that. And we've beaten them away from home, so you know their form has basically been the same as ours this season. You know, I know we beat them away. We could have been two or three nil down at half time, and I know that didn't happen. But I'm just saying we're not miles better than anyone in the mm. top five. I think yeah. I think actually to be honest, I think it's very even. There's just some games that we've won, some games, you know, and at the end of the season that won't matter. But for the second half of the season, I'm not just not confident that we'll be for sure top four or you know, we'll be better than Arsenal and stuff like that. I just think it's gonna be a hard, a hard task. Obviously we play Arsenal and Man City away from home as well, which are two games that will be very difficult. So um yeah, we'll see. But if it's top five, top five gets Champions League, then fantastic what a season that'll be. Absolutely. There's absolutely loads of questions, by the way, that we're getting through today. So obviously it's the first show of the new year. The, the last couple of podcasts we've done have only been the post-match show. So there's loads to get through. So I'm keen that we maybe uh, be a bit more quick-fire yeah, with some of these. Uh, from James, who said, do you think Tara Mings' injury is the beginning of the end of his Aston Villa career? Which is such a sad question. I don't know why I've picked that one next, to be honest. I would like to I would like to think it isn't. I'm hoping that he comes back and, and has a full recovery and he's you know proven before that he's uh you know a fighter and all those kind of things that, that we that we level at him in, in the past. Mm-hmm. Obviously we've not moved on without him, but Pau Torres has come in now and been very good as we can't still playing well. I still think there's a space in this squad for Tara Mings, whether that's starting every week or not, I'm unsure. And obviously some of that will be dependent on how he does recover from the injury as well. But to yeah. say it's the beginning of the end of his Villa career, I think is probably a little bit premature. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think it's, I'm not in that kind of conversation either. I just don't think him... Just don't think it's true. But he's, he's on a long, a long contract as well. He's got years ahead um, at Villa. Will he play every game? No. But without the injury, would he play? Would he have played every game? No. 
he's got a role that means he will play like we've seen Longley play this season. Obviously not a lot mm. of Longley, but I think that's probably because, you know, is Longley the best player? Is he better than Mings? No, he's not. So Mings will play more. Mings would have played more so than what Longley has, if that makes sense. Um, mm. He's also got a role as, uh, you know, he's not the captain, but as a, a captain, part of like a leadership group, I'm sure Villa, um, the Villa players will be boosted when he's travelling with them to games hopefully in the Champions League uh, away games as well it's just stuff like that you you can't replace those characters as we know um so will he play every game like he was I don't think he will and I don't think that would have been the case if he has injury or not so yeah for me it's still definitely got a role and a, you know a responsibility and um yeah years ahead at Villa and I think he's one of those players like we said before will you know, it would be weird to see him or John McGibbon play for another team before they retire and I think that's mm. probably the case with Mings I don't think he'll be you know, disappointed not to be uh, the kind of forefront of what Villa are doing in the next few years because that's just, that's football, things change. And yeah, he still has a massive role. Villa in the Champions League, and he's part of that in terms of playing and being part of the squad and how Villa approach games and prepare for games. And that's that's still probably one of the highlights of his career, just being a oh, part of it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we've seen how much a few changes can make um, to a squad. Like, I think we've missed Yuri Tillemans a lot over the last few games. We missed Torres mm. a lot. Um, you know, we think our squad's pretty deep now, but in reality, one or two injuries here and there, it's, and all of a sudden it isn't. So, if we want to be a Champions League team and sustain that, we're going to need top players in the squad who are prepared not to play every game. This one's from Gamer Squad, who said, I've heard a lot of things about the new badge once again. Is there any news or information you know or options on changing it again? Will it be an anniversary one or a new permanent one? I'm hearing so many different things about it at the moment. Now, I've included this one because it, it feels, to me at least, because obviously we do this uh, for, for a living, we're consumed by this, so it, to me that feels like a very obvious question, but for some it doesn't bring an obvious answer. There is yeah. a lot of things up in the air about the new badge we saw the Chris Heck thing a couple of weeks ago now of the 150 AV circle thing that was on social media people mm -hmm. thought that might be part of the new badge so I understand why there's this like layer of confusion to to the badge gate or whatever you want to call it I'm wearing the one from 2016-ish we've obviously got the round badge on the kits this year we've got this AV thing coming in for 150 years talk of a new badge for next year so I understand the answer to the question but John can you explain it as as basic as you can what the breakdown is for Villa's new badge over the next 12 months or so. Yeah, so the new crest that will be used as the literal crest everywhere in terms of on the kits, presumably on the stadium, uh, on the website, on you know, on all the social media, the crest, that will be unveiled within a matter of days, I presume, um, from now. And that, that has been decided. It is what it is. I think it's been presented to the, um, to the fan board as well. I haven't seen it myself. I've been, you know, kind of given what it looks like, but... I, you know, I, I could draw it, but it would look horrendous. Um, <laughs> and the 150 kind of uh, badge, I suppose, that Chris Heck tweeted out, that's that's what they've used. as It's basically called a mark, and that's going to be used um, anything to do with the 150-year anniversary, because Villa are going big on that. They want to kind of have a big presence on um, in terms of commercial activity and social activity, stuff like that. That will be used as their kind of emblem of Aston Villa's 150 anniversary. But that won't be seen, you know, beyond next year, basically, or beyond, you know, after they celebrate the celebrate the anniversary. So um, 
yeah, the new crest, which will kind of delete the round badge, the badge that you're wearing now, Dan, that won't be seen ever again. The new crest that will be used, as Villa said themselves, hopefully for the next 150 years and beyond. So the whole new crest, the crest, that will be unveiled in the next couple of days. It is very so confusing. Yeah, it will be unveiled very soon. So, um, yeah, keep keep your eyes up for that, and that will be it. Crestgate yeah. over, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I understand why there's so much confusion about it because it's been a bit of a, a, a messy process over the last 12 months with different surveys and whatnot, and then the round badge unveiled, and then, oh, yeah, but it's only going to be on the kits, by the way, and we'll change it again soon. Like, I, I, I get it. I understand why there's this level of confusion. That AV150 thing, we saw it on the big disc thing didn't we on the pitch or yeah only ones i think it'll be used for stuff like that it might feature yeah. on the back of the neck on the shirt like we saw the mcgregor like icon yeah. thing on the yeah, roper yeah. shirt things yeah. like that is where you might see that for next season specifically but like you said after that it'll disappear into the into the archives and but yeah a new badge to go on the shirts on social media on the website on the stadium on the premier league website whatever the aston villa badge will be different from next season and we'll all see it hopefully in the next early 2024 they said so that could be literally any time now it will literally be a few days that's badge gate over until people don't like it and demand change. Uh, next question from Carl. He says, if Emery's ever poached by another club, brackets hopefully never, and we're talking Real Madrid or Barcelona level, yeah. how well is the club set up to bring in another manager to continue the amazing work already achieved? Or are we talking about another rebuild project given how Emery-centred it currently is? While I don't know the answer for certain, I think it's pretty obvious that they've put everything <laughs> into Project Emery into Unai Emery. I mean, said project. It's not, but we know the outcome in a way. We know we're going to have success, hopefully. But that is obviously a concern that in, I don't know how many years, five years, six years, at the moment anyway, there doesn't seem to be uh, kind of an after Emery plan. But I don't think that has to be at the forefront right now because, you know, as far as we know and as far as the owners know, Emery has committed his future to the club. We've obviously seen different things Um I think the biggest probably the biggest nod to it is the uh, I forget uh, Union Club Union Club I, I, is it Iron Iron something like that basically Emery's kind of home home club um, where he grew up his grandfather played for them I think his dad played for them as well and his uh, I think it's his brother is the president of the club and obviously V Sports have added them to their global network of clubs and there's different things going on there I think if you look closely to that that will tell you that. <laughs> This is Emery is more than just a manager for Aston Villa. He is he's like a god for for the for owners. He is everything to them and everything that the project is. So I don't think they're thinking of life after Emery, and don't think there has to be a plan because, as I say, as far as we know, Emery has given his word and everything that's going on. We're kind of building so much that he can't escape. He can't leave. <laughs> Not that he wants to, but do you know what I mean. It would be so difficult that even if they did, even if a big club, uh, a big club, sorry, even if one of the biggest clubs in the world came in for him. He might think about it, but even then Villa would say, well, this is everything that you've got here. What can you achieve there um, that you couldn't at least try to achieve at Aston Villa, which would obviously make, uh, you know, for an even better success story. And we've said it many times before, Emery's best work comes with groups of players who want to learn more and who want to improve as footballers rather than Emery going to a mm-hmm. team like Barcelona who are, you know, who have players who have, you know, they think or they are on that level already. Emery wants sort of players who can get to that level and they don't want to stop, um, i.e. Ollie Watkins. It would be, for Emery anyway, I think it would be much easier to coach Ollie Watkins than a 
you know, a Memphis Depay, should we say, who's already got a big ego. And yes, you need an ego, but an ego that, you know, can be nurtured and, you know, can be put in the right direction, should we say. So, yeah, is there an after Emery plan? As far as I know, there isn't. But what there is, is there is even more going into Emery. So I, I wouldn't think about mm. um, the kind of, yeah, the afterlife of that. It's, uh, that's not really on the radar. Maybe in a few years, so, I don't know, three years when, um, I don't know, hopefully Villa have got lots of success by then and they're thinking, well, at some point Emery might want a new challenge. Again, in, I don't know, way down the line, hopefully. Maybe then they'll start to think and they'll be going to Monchi and saying, what, what does it look like? Because um, he's ultimately the guy that's running the football operations. So would it be a continuation of Emery suggesting, oh, this young Spanish manager is good and he can continue to work with Monchi and et cetera, et cetera. All, all of those guys say, you know, we, we're here for Emery and that's fine. And then we bring in a new sporting director and a new um, manager and stuff like that. But again, that, I'm talking way down the line as if it's not, hopefully not going to happen for a very long time. Um, but yeah, at the moment, they're just fully, fully in on, fully in on Emery's uh, project. And yeah, there's a lot going on more so than just a bottom of Heath um, yeah, to suggest. That. Yeah, definitely. We're going to move away from questions a little bit. There's still loads to get through, but I mentioned that we're going to talk about Neville and Carragher's team of the season so far. Uh, they went through this on Monday Night Football, and it caused a little bit of oh, a little bit of a meltdown actually on social media. I, I felt people kind of I thought it was a little bit of an overreaction to it. I assume you've seen both sides, John. But for those that haven't, I'll quickly, very quickly read them out. This is mainly for the the audio listeners. Uh, Jamie Carragher's actually I'm not going to read them out. There's no Villa players in. Is the crux of the people's <laughs> frustration. Um, yeah. You've got players like Cole Palmer in Jamie Carragher's. Uh, Jared Bowen is up front rather than someone like Ollie Watkins. Uh, Cole Palmer in midfield rather than someone like Douglas Luiz. Uh, Saliba and Van Dijk is the centre-back partnership on both Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher's. And people, again, I don't know whether he would make it in, suggesting some, how, how good Pau Torres has been. Is he in, in, in with the shout for team of the season so far? I don't think the specific players is the, is the, the, the brunt of people's frustrations here. It's that how can Villa be second place and not have a player represented in a team of the year so far? Firstly, before I ask you a couple of questions specifically about teams, do you yeah. care? Were you outraged? No. <laughs> no, no, like my, um, <laughs> I understand the outrage and it does sound strange when you look at it because Villa are second, but ultimately they're just former pros who have turned good presenters and yeah, they do good analysis. I really think Jamie Carragher is probably the best pundit there is. Uh, you know, I watch Gary Neville when he has, uh, you know, meltdowns about Man United because it's funny, but that's about as far as it goes. Would I ask them about Douglas Louise and Wally Watkins and Unai Emery and how Aston Villa have progressed? Nope. Because ultimately that's not what they do. We're the, not to make us sound, you know, particularly intelligent and Aston Villa fans are put in the same category as, we're the experts. We're the ones who watch Villa. So I don't care what yeah. an Everton fan or is Carragher a Liverpool fan, sorry, um, or Man United fan. <laughs> but I don't, I don't care. Like It's one of those, would you ask for, um, you know, advice from, sorry, would you take, uh, you know, criticism from someone who you wouldn't ask for advice from? It's that same vibe to me. It's like, well, I'm not really, for example, if an Everton fan, uh, sorry, if someone asked me about Everton or Wolves or Atletico Madrid or Lazio or Bristol City, would I be able to give them a breakdown of if they're good or not or if this and that? I wouldn't. Is it not the job of a national pundit on a national television show to be balanced across at least the entire Premier League? But they can't They can't physically watch 20 teams play all their games and have an informed opinion about all the teams. They just simply can't. So it's a, dilu a diluted uh, opinion about Aston Villa, a diluted opinion about Man City, about 
you know, Wolves, Everton, all those teams. But, you know, you look at it and think, well, Jared Bowen's done well. He's scored lots of goals and got a lot of assists. We'll put him in the team this season ahead of Watkins. And to be fair, you know, there is an argument to be made about that. Because, by the way, I look across the whole team and I think, well, has Son had a better season than our, some of our players? Probably, maybe. Has Haaland had a better season? You know, you could probably make the argument that Watkins should go ahead of him. But then he's scored basically in every game that's played. So probably Haaland goes in there. So I don't think... Like my first point is that I don't really care because I don't look for their opinions about Aston Villa because I think us as Villa fans, we're just more informed. So why should we go looking for it? But then secondly, there probably is an argument to suggest that Van Dijk's had a better season than Compton maybe. And there's like an argument, sorry, that Compton's had a better season than Van Dijk. It, just, it is what it is. Like It's a flip of a coin sort of thing. I know they mentioned that they might have put Louise in instead of Rice or Rodri. But you're talking about Declan Rice and Rodri, who were probably the two best midfielders <laughs> in the division and who have had very good seasons. So if I did my team, I would probably put Louise and Watkins in there and take out Haaland maybe and um, drop a forward. I think Neville had like four forwards. I'd probably drop yeah. Salah maybe. But then you drop in Salah, who's had an incredible yeah. season. So it's just, it is difficult. It's not as easy as just saying, oh, Villa are second and um, therefore players need to be in there. But what I would say is it is a backhanded compliment because Villa are just a very good team. This is the reason why they had Emery as the manager of the season. So but is know, that not another have... little weird little quirk though to have you know Emery as the manager of the of the season in your team of the season, but then not have one of his players who has got him to be manager of the season. But I think I know it sounds stupid, but I think it's Emery by the way, I don't care players. either. I'm kind of just fighting the argument <laughs> because you don't care. I'm yeah. trying to give the argument. No, I no, do. I get that. No, no, you know, you look at Leon Bailey, he probably should be in there somewhere, but then ahead of who? Because yeah, I know. Villa have had a better season so far, you know, to points wise than Tottenham and uh, Man City and Arsenal, but individually. City and Arsenal have had some, not Arsenal to be fair, City and Tottenham have had some outstanding individual performances so far this season. For example, Adogi is definitely the left back of the season for me. Um, I don't know how to explain it, but as a team, Villa have just been like an 8 out of 10 almost every game, even more. Maybe sometimes they dip. Whereas some players that they've named in their teams haven't had as good season as Villa, but their players have been like consistently nine, but then the right back might be on a six all season. It's hard to explain really, but... Yeah, Villa are just, better as a sum I, I of their parts. It. They're a good team yeah. rather than a, a team of a couple of individuals. Like Bowen is exactly. in both teams and you could say that, well, Bowen That's is the, the reason why West Ham are sixth, whereas Villa it's, are second because, because they've got Bailey, 11 good players. But we can't yeah. put all 11 in a team of the season. But somebody like Watkins should be in there for me. Louise would be in there for me. I don't think I'll go as far to say Paul Torres could be in there over Saliba and Van Dijk. But again, we're a Villa podcast. So we're allowed to be a little bit biased. Yeah. Martinez over if... Vicario, probably not. Like, there's, there's obviously some great players in, in these 11s. I kind of see both sides of the coin. I'm not going to get frustrated and annoyed about it because I quite like the fact yeah. that once again, Villa seem to fly under the radar. Keep doing that. We're second. Let the football do the talking. Use that cliche. Yeah, that... Uh, yeah, literally that. You know, I looked at the teams in the morning because obviously there was a big outrage about it, and I, you know, thought, okay, you know, kind of expect that. Yeah, you probably should have Watkins or Louise, but as I say, who did it? Jeremy Carrigan, Gary Neville. It wasn't. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't matter. Like it's yeah, Villa fans. They want to us Villa fans. We want to. I mean, we say we want to go under the radar, but then we also ask for the. I know. You know, I know. The, um, you know, uh, the praise. And I think we want praise sometimes because it kind of just reaffirms that, oh yeah, we are doing something good and we, you know, why is everyone ignoring us? Why is no one saying that we don't have injuries as well? And that stuff is all true. No one does mention that we have injuries or that we've been on the end of bad decisions as well with AI because everyone has to be honest. But for two pundits just to put out the teams, I don't think it really doesn't cause me any um, 
any any worries. I'm not bothered. I wouldn't go looking uh, to those guys to ask about Aston Villa, and that's not a criticism of them. I think they do a good job on the whole, and it's very difficult to do their job. Um, I think you need to be a better presenter, to be honest, than anything else, because if you're boring, don't want to watch you in the first place. So, um, yeah, it is one of those. Yeah, Thanks for your opinion, I, I, guys. I, I understand your point. It's I'd be if we did a team of the season, you, me, Matt, Ash. Pat, whoever's been on the podcast before, Rushton, Max Stokes, anyone, if we did like a Villa, if I asked all of you to do a Premier League team of the season and you didn't put any Villa players in, I'd be more annoyed about that because you're <laughs> yeah. somebody, do you know what I mean? Because like you say, Gary Neville, they're, they're, they're on a, a national TV show, they're doing their job, they yeah. pick all the big names from the big clubs traditionally, maybe mm-hmm. this is a, a way to get engagement, whatever else, if you, if you want to look that deep at it. But if you were doing it as a Villa fan, and somebody who does a Villa podcast, and you hadn't included any of our players, that would annoy yeah. me more, because I, like, well, I respect John's opinion, why is he not giving Villa Max. the respect? He, he does this for yeah. a living kind of thing. I would put Louise and Watkins in there. Those are the two I would put in, and we've had more good players yeah. like Bailey. For example, Bailey should probably go in there somewhere, but then you're thinking, well, above Salah, above Son, probably not, because they've had outstanding seasons and because their team hasn't played better. It's like, oh, well, you know, I, yeah. It's just I, I'm not outraged because I'm not bothered about what people who aren't, experts or aren't Villa fans or don't watch every club I mean, they try to watch every club but it's impossible to analyze everybody so well so um, yeah that's why I'm not particularly fussed it's just their opinion their opinion on Villa is diluted just on Emery as the manager of uh, the season so far for them in the team and Emery is manager of 2023 as a whole possibly yeah. is is one that's up for debate for, for some people but for me not not up for debate how could he not be the manager of the calendar year last year and the manager of the season so far? And people will, again, I just want to quickly do this and then we'll go back to some questions. People will say something like Pep Guardiola, manager of the year last year, won the treble, obviously. And whilst obviously that is a humongous achievement and Emery has not achieved anywhere near that because we haven't won anything, yada, yada, yada. Pep Guardiola is expected to win titles and win Champions Leagues with the squad he's got and the players he's got. Unai Emery, to take, him, to take Villa from where they were to where they are now, that's the achievement and that's what wins you a manager of the year. That's what player of the year wins you something like Haaland winning player of the year for scoring loads of goals. Well, yeah, like we all knew he would score loads of goals. If somebody who we don't expect to score loads of goals scored loads of goals, I'd want them to be a player of the year instead. Like I'd rather reward people who are going against their expectations rather than just going, oh, Pep Guardiola won the lot, manager of the year again. Like, Give it to someone like Uno Emery for achieving what felt like the impossible. The only thing I would say about Pep, and I agree, I, Emery is the manager of the year for sure. I did a couple of pieces stating why, even though it's stating the bleeding obvious. Um, the only thing with Pep, though, he, he can't really go and achieve more than his expectation, whereas Emery can. So mm. that's the only thing I would say in Pep's favour. Uh, and yes, he won the treble or I guess it's quadruple now because they won the Club World Cup, but that really isn't a thing like in my type of the community shield really, isn't it? But Emery has done a job that I, I've said on record, I don't think any other manager would have done, even Pep or Klopp. I, I just don't, because it was that good. You, like, how could, firstly, I don't think anyone would better it, but even matching what he's done over the the calendar year. I just don't think any other manager would be able to do it, like in world football. Mm-hmm. Maybe that sounds crazy, but his job, the, what he did was so good. I just You can't just say, oh yeah, Klopp would have done that or Guardiola would have done that because it was so good. It's, I really don't think they would. And would uh, another manager be able to do what Guardiola did with Man City? I think probably, you know, again, fair play, he did a 
you know, did everything that he was expected to do in terms of winning different things. But with that team, and although Arsenal were decent last season, I just feel like that wasn't Man City's best ever season. And in terms of like a points return and stuff like that, I just feel like another manager maybe probably could have done the same thing, whereas another manager probably wouldn't have done what Emery would have done. So, um, mm. yeah, we are going to say that as Villa fans and then you get Man City fans kind of debating why it would be Pep. But ultimately, I agree with you, Dan. It's like he has done what you kind of expect him to do, which is win most games. Emery wasn't expected to do what he did. Um and obviously juggle conference league as well and different things as well. That's what someone or some people thought he would fail to do this season. So we've definitely blown that out of the water. Let's go back to the questions then now. Uh, we'll start with John, who says, move to a new stadium, yes or no? Uh, he also ran a Twitter poll, which uh, 78.7 people also said no. That's what I'll say. I've been asked this question before. My answer remains the same. I don't want us to see leave Villa Park. I know this has become a, a talking point again because of the stand, the plans with the North Stand and is Villa's problems just to move away from Villa Park and I'm going to start, start again. I just don't want us to see to see Villa play anywhere other than Villa Park. That's that's my personal opinion on it. Yeah, and from what I've been told from people in the club, it's, that's not a, like a consideration. Um, obviously, things can change, but it, there's been no... Uh, you know, conversations about it. Villa, as you know, the, the hierarchy they want to remain at Villa Park, and although it might be easier to, you know, house more fans and transport issues would probably go if they moved to somewhere else. Um, although that's not given anyway, they'd probably be, you know, they'd probably have an easier time to kind of, um, you know, get what they want from Villa Park in terms of more fans and easy transport, as we just said, somewhere else. But Villa Park is Villa Park, and it's tradition. I think. There's probably something that appeals to the owners as well about probably being like the only kind of not the only traditional stadium, but we obviously seen White Hart Lane go, mm. seen Goodison Park is going to go, uh, other stadiums as well, even <clears throat> Old Trafford as well. I think the people who are kind of working on that construction there, they've said to the owners, you know, you need to move basically or build a new stadium um, because it's <laughs> it's literally falling down. So yeah, Villa Park needs some you know redevelopment on it, but. You know, Chris X walked into the um, walked into his role, and he's you know he's given his professional opinion that is that he doesn't want the capacity to be taken down to thirty six thousand by knocking down the stands. Speaking to the people who were doing the construction, uh, what would have this been? Uh, maybe in pre season or something like that. They were saying that it's very difficult to build behind. So you know, like Liverpool have done, a lot of issues come up from that, and your costs are going to increase and different things like that. And especially for Villa, who were. If you stand outside the north stand, you'll see it's at a very different level, and there's like a walk, mm. you know, to kind of go up, and it's um, very uneven and stuff. So building a new stand itself would just cause loads of different problems. So, yeah, Villa have a plan to kind of increase it by two, three thousand the seats, and I don't know if that's something that we're going to get onto, but um, yeah, in terms of leaving Villa Park, no, for me is the answer, and the only thing I would say to carry that is that there will be, you know, a lot of fans who won't be able to take their kids to, to the uh, games though, and have season tickets and stuff like that, because there's you know what thirty thousand plus on a waiting list at the moment. That isn't gonna, sorry, that is only gonna grow, and something's gonna have to give at some point. But <clears throat> in terms of leaving, that isn't you know a plan for the owners or anything like that, at least at the moment. You mentioned the three thousand seats there. Simon asks, where does Chris Heck think he is going to get those three thousand seats into Villa Park's existing structure? So no, ask Chris Heck. <laughs> I, I don't know. Again, I haven't seen the plans. When the, the plans that they had for the redevelopment of the North Stand and 
obviously the literal building of a new stand. They they did look good. They they had like a bar. They um the mm. uh, the dressing room was in a different area. You, a lot of the new stadiums these days, like the Etihad and the Tottenham ground, you can kind of see the players as they walk past them. I know that's only a small thing, but there there's a lot of attention to detail, and they you know really went out um, to do that. So it is a bit disappointing that you know Heck comes in and sees that that's just not something that he wants. And I'll be honest, that moving into the hopefully into an era where Villa play in the Champions League and there's a lot of revenue there and different thing, different things like that, this is probably the worst time i think to build it because of on pitch performance so i do agree on that side so it is um is there a good time though they feel i want to be in the champions league for the next 10 years consecutively when do they do it put it this way i think this is the worst time to do it though in terms of on pitch because the the, um, the revenue they'd get from playing in the champions league and having that home advantage from finishing in the premier league as high as they want to that revenue i'm pretty sure would be much more than you know how, however many of the fans would be able to what is it seven thousand more fans i think would go into mm. Villa Park to watch home games. For me, I think I'd rather Villa Park, at least in the infancy of their new era, if that makes sense. Hopefully playing in the Champions League, you want a rocking, you know, full house of Villa Park. And maybe as as the um as Simon says, two to three thousand more seats. Again, I don't know where exactly that will be, I presume around the North Stand. I don't know. Maybe they start to fill in the sides. I don't again I don't I know think how that, that, would, that, that makes work. the most sense. I think you leave the whole end as its own thing. You fill in the corners on the North Stand, Trinity and Doug Ellis. And then you revamp. If you're not going to build if you're not going to um if you're not going to knock down the North Stand, you've got to revamp it. You've got to yeah. redecorate it. You've got to do all the concourses, all the inside stuff. You've got to make that uh, a better quality of facility for the fans that you're um putting in there yeah, so and- you know, having a I don't want to call it a bowl but having like the rest of the stadium like curve round for want of a better phrase but then the whole ten be its own standalone thing is a, is a decent kind of um, compromise I suppose yeah and that was obviously the idea to redevelop the North Sun and I think that's the way to do it I'll be the first to say don't touch the whole end I mean they'll obviously have to touch the whole end in terms of kind of putting different things in hospitality etc but you want it to be standalone you want it to be the this is Villa Park and Kind of the rest of the stadium is still magnificent and maybe there's a bowl there to literally just to have more fans in and i don't think that would reduce the atmosphere in any way but you don't want to wrap the whole end around that would be no no you know whoever makes that decision even if it was you know serious that's kind of the first cross in his book if that makes sense of like well that can't happen it really can't and i don't think that's something could push for anyway but um yeah two thousand three thousand more seats probably wrapping around to the doug ellis trinity from the north but We'll see. Um, be edged on that on pitch performance. I do think it's important that Villa have that advantage, that, that you know, mm. that home advantage. You don't want to be playing in front of 35, 36,000 or whatever it may be when this is the best we've been in, I mean, in my lifetime, in a lot of people's lifetime as well. So, yeah. Let's move on to something slightly different. Uh, we'll probably go a little bit more quick fire with some of these. Um, Matt says, which players on loan do you think have a chance of getting into the squad next season? I think we've kind of mentioned this not recently but possibly when we're doing different hockey shoots last year I, I think where Villa are with their loans at the moment I think those players have got futures in the football league I, I, it's difficult because you look at Cameron Archer who was banging in goals for um sorry banging in goals for um who was he on loan up last season Borough just back in the last season obviously before that um as well that would surely be the best opportunity for a player to stay at Aston Villa. And he doesn't. So I, I think it's a bit 
kind of you know the writings on the wall for a lot of players who go out on loan in terms of their future for Villa unless they're an outstanding talent and even and even mm. then you thought well you'd stay around the squad because you need a big squad so I, I don't want to it's difficult and it's not I don't want to kind of put that as a negative but this is football at the elite level especially where Villa want to be you know they instead of selling off a um, kind of a key asset in their first team squad be it, I don't know, Louise Martinez, etc. They chose to sell Aaron Ramsey, Jaden Philogene, and Cameron Archer to make near enough £40 million. And I think that's the kind of, I don't want to say business model because these are young footballers, but that's the kind of model that we're looking at at the moment anyway. Um, there's a lot going into the academy at the moment. So Villa want to, you know, give those players a career elsewhere, but also the mm. few do make it into Villa team will be will have to be exceptional. Um yeah. that doesn't mean that they won't have a future at the club because we've seen Archer, you know, buyback clause, Philogene buyback clause, same with uh, Aaron Ramsey as well. So it doesn't mean that their career with Villa is, you know, technically over, but they've got a career in the, in the football league or even in the Premier League, like we've seen with Archer and Ramsey, maybe they can stay there. So um yeah, I, I don't know for certain which ones would be able to make it in the Villa team next year, if any, but I don't want to put that as a negative as well. So it's difficult really. Listed on Villa's website, there's three loanies, um, Sinisalo, Sanson and Coutinho. Sanson and Coutinho aren't going to play for Villa again. Sinisalo is the one of those three who could come back into the squad as the as the backup goalkeeper. But there's talk of Villa signing a goalkeeper either this window or in the summer anyway, a young goalkeeper. So if you're at the we've talked about this before, if you're at the stage where Villa are, where we've progressed so quickly, if you're one of the few that's been loaned out, you don't, it's very unlikely you've got a future because, as you said, the model now, if you're a promising young player, is you're sold with a buyback and you see how you get on. And if you're good enough, you come back. If you're loaned out, it's because no one wants to buy you or they've got massive wages that another club is not willing to take on. And you're just doing it to run down their contract, basically. So apart from Sinasala, who's a, who's a youngster and is doing well by all accounts, someone like a Sanson or a Coutinho going out on loan is just a means to an end to get rid of them because no one wants to buy them. No, true. I mean, there are obviously younger players like Louis Barry, who's done very well up until his yeah. injury. But I mean, his contract's running out at the moment, Barry. Whether Villa renew that and send him out on another loan into maybe the Championship or something, but then it's difficult because he hasn't had that experience in. Oh, sorry, he has he has had experiences in League One, but they didn't go too well. So it's um, yeah, these players to prove himself to Emery to be in the first team is very very difficult. Like even a Seven Evans, yeah. for example, who I think did very well in preseason. Um, likely to be relegated with Rotherham this season and again if they can have careers in the football league well fantastic that's um that's a career in football and you, you'll be very well paid doing it so yeah it's not like the end of the world at all but for Villa to have players that <laughs> make it from their academy it's you know really is few and far few and far between and I look at Jacob Ramsey for example if he came through right now what, what would his career look like I think it helped mm. him that he was working under Dean Smith who was willing to give him the chance when Villa's aspirations that season at least was to you know try and get into the top half of the table that means that the young players can play and um that helped trickle maker i think as well um to kind of yeah. come through a little bit and his decision to join chelsea looks a bit <laughs> laughable now really and i think that's where you know the kind of player guidance comes into um effect as well if trickle maker was here i don't think we'd be selling him. i think he's the one that would be used and he would get an opportunity in demery but he chose um obviously different circumstances is apparently he was a Chelsea fan and they came for him and obviously Gerald was the manager at that time and where were Villa going etc but yeah um, it's just difficult for young players but yeah I don't want to paint a negative picture on it 
No, no, of course not. It's just a, a realistic look at it, is how I feel. This que- next question is from Darren. It's a hypothetical. Man City come to Villa and say, we're willing to swap £100 million Jack Grealish for £33 million Leon Bailey in this transfer window. Are you taking that swap deal? <laughs> what a question. I mean, you could argue whether Jack Grealish is still worth £100 million in the market oh. and whether Leon Bailey is still worth £33 million. They're probably a little oh, bit yeah, more neck and neck now. Think- um, but would you swap them? Ignoring, well, I think you have to take the kind of emotional connection out of it with Grealish and say no, because what you're really asking is, would you sell one of Aston Villa's most informed players for a player who plays for a decent, a decent, a very good team, but you know, is uh, basically no, I wouldn't, because Leon Bailey <laughs> so well. Um, as I say, you'd have to just take the Jack Grealish side out of it. And by the way, they're two very different players anyway. Emery would have to change the way he plays, etc. Just can't believe I've rejected Jack Grealish. That's uh, <laughs> quite sad. But no, not for, you know, if it's a literal question, then no, I wouldn't swap Bailey for many players, to be honest, in his position at the moment. He's playing out his skin. Like, genuinely, when I watch him, yeah. you know, he's, he looks like he could be playing for any team in the world. And I mean that very seriously. He's that good at the moment and hopefully that continues and wing is kind of the kind of blow hot and cold but at the moment he's certainly um in form and he has been all season so that's a positive he's not just doing this after like two weeks or something you know playing well he's been doing it since the start of the season so hopefully that can last for the rest of the campaign uh this next one was from a guy i wanted to clarify his uh pronunciation of his name because it's an irish name it's spelled c-o-n-c-h-u-r I didn't want to mess it up. He had actually three other names in his profile after that. Uh, it's Connor. <laughs> Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, the Irish version of Connor, but I didn't want to butcher it. Uh, and he said, rather than who we buy, what about what price would you take realistically for some of our players? Look at what each player is worth. I suspect a few will be sniffing around and I know we don't need the money, etc. But I think that owners are pragmatic enough in that everyone has a price. And that's something we've talked about before. Every footballer has his price to say that you wouldn't take 150 million for Ollie Watkins or whatever is silly. Like, you know, every player is worth a certain amount. If someone's willing to pay it, it gives you that conversation to think about. And we're not going to go through every player in the squad because we've already been recording it a long time. Um, but if I had to pick out a couple of the key names, a Douglas Louise and Emmy Martinez, players like that, what are their actual values? Are we looking at 80, 90, 100 million pound players in this Villa squad now? Yeah, for certain, because because Villa can would be my answer. Um, they have all the cards with with these transfers. I mean, you take Louise for starters. You've only got to compare what Chelsea have paid for their midfielders. And firstly, I don't think Chelsea really care, but whether they know it or not, they they've affected the market massively for me. Paying a hundred yeah. and what hundred and ten was it for? Enzo, I think Casado would have been around a hundred, I think, or maybe a bit less. I'm not too sure. But that just elevates it. And when they don't play particularly well, then Villa have the, you know, the courage to say, okay, well, we'll ask for 100 mil. We'll ask for a club record, should we say. We want a club record for Douglas Louise. And it's quite mental because Jack Grealish, as I say, is the best player I've seen play for Villa in my lifetime. And, you know, now based on that, if he, if he, did, if he had stayed at Villa, you're probably thinking like 120, 150. Because if Louise is 100, I'm not saying Louise is worse. Yeah, yeah, than yeah. Louise is an exceptional player, but do you know what I mean? Um Paketar for West Ham is worth over 100. This is just the going right now for a for a very good midfielder. So that's Louise, 100 million club record deal. Hopefully, if that you know, if if, if he was to leave, uh, Martinez, you'd be looking for around the record for a goalkeeper as well. I don't think that's changed, has it, since Kepa? It's a 70 odd. Is it? I think it's still Kepa. I think Allison was signed for just less than that. I think. I think um, so. But that's 
whether you'd get that money, that's where you start. If you know, if there has to be a negotiation, we'll, we'd say to a, I don't know, whoever the club is, Barcelona, maybe not Barcelona because they don't have much money, but I know they want Louise. Um, any club doesn't matter. Would be saying, right, we want this record for this player because we're this good and they could be playing Champions League. They're, they're not desperate to leave. Do you know, it's that sort of thing. If Villa finished seventh yeah. this season, which I'm pretty sure they won't, but if they did, then those players might be saying, you know, yeah, I've signed a new, you know, a long-term contract, but it's my dream to play in the Champions League. If there's a deal to be done, can you do it? Whereas now they're going to be like, well, you know, if X club comes into comes in for them, then they're not going to be, you know, completely desperate to leave, are they? Um, yeah. Talking about hopefully Villa as a Champions League club, these players are very settled as well where they are. Isn't it? So the, as I say, Villa have all the power in negotiations, so there's no reason for them to go under what they exactly want for for a player. There's yeah, they have all the all the cards, and it's the same for most of those players in the team. Like Watkins won't be leaving anytime soon because he's signed a new deal. Louise is one in the summer that I think that could be quite a lot of interest, and we'll have to see how that one develops. But um, is the question? Uh, sorry, I forgot the name of the question. Connor, uh, you ask it. Yeah, uh, you know, I think the question is: Would Villa fans be distraught if we had to sell a player for you know mega money, and that then allowed us to buy? what Emery wanted elsewhere. I don't know. I think it's coming to the point now for Villa where, you know, FFP is a major concern for a lot of teams. It's not a major concern for Villa because they've balanced the books well. And if they get Champions League, that is a big revenue for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I just wonder if in the summer, if there was an opportunity of a big sale and a team really does come in hard for a Louise, should we say, or maybe someone else, I don't know, then would they would they say, no, this player isn't leaving? Or would they say, okay, well, we can start negotiations at 100? Yeah, transfer um, fees is a strange one, isn't it? Because it's kind of like the power is on is in the club's hands. Who've got the the asset that the other club wants to buy? That is any player worth one hundred million pounds? No, obviously not. Like the market is so overinflated because of teams like Chelsea paying paying the fees that they do, and this is the the market we live in now. If we are in the Champions League next year, I don't see many players wanting to actually leave unless they're no. I don't know. Let's say Douglas Luiz has a Real Madrid fan his entire life and they come for him and he can go there and win everything. Yes, maybe that's slightly different. But if they're in the Champions League, they're settled, they're enjoying playing under an Emery, you know, the cards are in Villa's hands and the players' hands to say, look, 100 million, we'll, we'll have a conversation at that price. doesn't mean anything, but that's, that. that's what we want for them, at least. There's a lot of players that you could say that for in the Villa squad that we want a record for this position, a record for that position. Uh, Ezra Concert, eighty million for a record defender, or, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? You could you can say whatever you want. Whether someone's willing to pay that is a, a totally different uh, argument. I think if you'd have said in the year just gone, summer of twenty twenty three, obviously we didn't make a big sale. But if we had to make the signings that we did, let's say we sold Ezra Concert last year for eighty million, but bought Pau Torres, Musa Diaby, and Euro Tielemans with that money, you'd have said. Well, him leaving allowed us to do that business. And that is eventually what Villa will have to do again at some point, Champions League or otherwise. You've got to have some kind of sales to make purchases in the future, whether that's one big one or a couple of small ones. But you hope that Villa match the trajectory they're currently on and the players are satisfied to stay here, that you don't have to do that. You're not forced into finishing mid-table and you have to sell these players because they don't want to be here anymore. That's not where Villa are hopefully going to be any, any longer. And that's why this season was so important because we know yeah. that Martinez has ambitions of Champions League. We know it's the same for Luis. We know it's the same for Ollie Watkins, who's just signed a new deal. All these players, there's a certain trajectory that they want to get to. And they've always said that, oh, I think Villa can get there. 
whether they thought it would actually happen this season, I don't know. And hopefully it does. But that's the point. Villa have firstly, there's no literal pressure to sell. We're not, you know, we're not, you know, we're not in debt in terms of transfers or anything like that. But if we'd like to, if Emery spots four positions or something that he wants to improve in, and he would, you know, for example, I don't know, Mikel Moreno from Sociedad, if he'd like to sign him, then Louise would go for a hundred. Well, then in Emery's eyes, maybe there's a there's a deal to be done and that sort of thing. And again, I'm not suggesting that is the case, but I'm just trying to kind of paint the picture of. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think Villa basically. I don't think Villa are in the position anymore where selling a big player for big money is the worst thing in the world. I think when Grealish left, it was different because it was very emotional. But um, in terms of what he is for Villa, but now I trust Emery and the recruitment team to spend whatever money we get well, and we know that that money is going to be spent towards the goal of Villa becoming sustainable in the Champions League, hopefully. Yeah. Um, whereas, as you said, then if we get Champions League this season uh, and we don't sell any of our big assets, not that I want it to happen, but then the next year, if we don't get Champions League, well, then where are we? We know we're then probably going to have to sell someone, which makes our, uh, our kind of power maybe less in negotiations, etc. So it's going to be an interesting summer, but one that I'm not approaching with any like trepidation of, oh, what if we lose this play? What if I just feel like we're in, we're in a very good position and don't want to lose anyone, of course. Um, but if that has to happen, I know that we're going to get top value for them and I know it's going to be spent well. So yeah, whatever will be, will be. I just hope that we can secure Champions League this season and then everything is just easier to deal with than you know, kind of put it, putting it that way. That's a more positive outlook on it. Marco says, if Moussa Diaby lowered the height of his socks and wore smaller shin pads, do you think his goal involvements would increase in the second half of the season? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Leon Bailey effect. It's definitely chance, isn't it? Um, I suppose the question is more about <laughs> Diaby's goal involvements, but no, I think there's, there's every chance it could work for sure. Uh, what do you think about Diaby, Dan? I mean, I think... I think it's just it's difficult to say. I, he's definitely playing with himself at the moment. I just wonder if the Leon Bailey stuff has helped. Sorry, hasn't helped. I don't know how to explain it, but ba- the RB coming in has helped Bailey. But Bailey then mm. doing very well. I don't know if that's helped the RB. I think his confidence <laughs> dropped a little bit. I think yeah, <clears throat> the start knew that was his position. He knew that it was kind of not under threat. And then all of a sudden, Bailey plays very well and has basically overtaken him, I think. I know the RB still mm. plays with with Watkins, but I think he's a bit nervous now that if he does something wrong or if he doesn't get involved too much, or if he doesn't score or assist or something, he knows it's probably going to get taken off. And I don't think that's what he joined Villa with the kind of yeah, maybe. Um, thought of being, you know, a kind of player that we expect to be good. But if he's not, then, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to stay on the pitch for 90 minutes. I thought he, kept, he, he probably thought he was coming to Villa to be the guy and, uh, you know, the guy to get Champions League. And while that is still the case, he's still an exceptional player. I just think he's probably maybe his confidence has taken a bit of a knock just because he's not the kind of star. And I don't think that's mm. like, I'm not saying he's got an ego. I think it's just the, you know, he's adapting still and hopefully in the second half of the season, he can get back to where he was at the first half of the first half of the season. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I think we spoke about him either the, on the Burnley show or the, or the Man United show. Uh, I totally agree with everything you said. I think he kind of burst onto the scene a little bit when he first came into yeah. the side and joined it in the summer. Obviously scored on debut, but in a five-five-one defeat. But played well in the in the first few weeks of the season. Lightning quick. He still got those attributes. He's still that that player. I think it is just a confidence thing, just a, a bedding yeah. in period, whatever you want to call it. Kind of the resurgence of Leon Bailey is interesting because he has certainly been better this season. Thanks to Diaby, I think, and, and and playing down that right hand side. But yeah, I didn't really think about the knock on effects of it going the other way. That maybe Diaby does feel some pressure. The guy he's playing with on the other side, of him, Molly Watkins, is having the season of his life as well. So, yeah. how, whatever Diaby does this year, almost 
to, to whatever Diaby does this year to an extent is not going to be as good as what Bailey and Watkins are doing at the moment because they're playing out of their skin. So if Diaby has an average season, he looks bad next to those two from a numbers perspective, which is mad to say. Um, but I think we'll see the best of Musa Diaby next season and the year after. I think yeah. more so than, than right now. Yeah, I remember we were kind of speaking in the summer about oh, we need a different winger and we need solely on Bailey, for example. And I think this is the kind of the point I was trying to make of what Emery wants to do is increase his 11 and then whoever's in the 11 might, might be on the bench, but it also increases their level. That's the whole point of improving your squad. Yeah. It, it was never the case of, oh, Villa must sell, uh, I don't know, X player and then replacing the 11. Well, what happens on the bench? The bench doesn't improve. You always have to improve your squad. And this is the kind of the classic yeah. example of a player might be out of form or not in the best way, but that doesn't mean that can't change. And, um, you know, I can't think of an example off the top of my head now, to be honest, but elsewhere in the team, that will be the case. I don't know. Let's say we bring Villa bringing a new right back in the summer. That doesn't mean you have to sell Matty Cash. That means that Matty Cash might play less games, but it might bring him on another level. So that's the kind yeah. of way you have to look at it. And when the new right back isn't playing well and you've sold Matty Cash, who do you bring on to change things? At the yes. moment, Matty Cash isn't playing well. Who do you bring off to change it? Ezra Concert right back is not the long, long-term long answer. If the new right back isn't having the best of times, Matty Cash comes back in like Luca Dean did this year due to Morano's injury, granted, but played very well in place of him. So that's how you build a Champions League fighting squad, essentially, and that's what we've, what, what, and that's what we've seen this year. Ginge says, there's other players across the league going off to AFCON and the Asia Cup. Yes. How does that benefit Villa? And Son and Salah are the two biggest names going to both competitions or going to each competition. Um, but there's a lot of players across the league, even from slightly lesser down clubs that aren't really competing for Villa that will lose players as well. And Kudus and someone else from West Ham are going to AFCON as well. I think Brighton is Matoma is one. So, yes, maybe not necessarily affecting Villa right now, given where we are in the league, but Villa are losing Bertrand Traore, who's never fit anyone. Yeah, and Villa aren't very happy about it either because he came back injured in the November break and we don't seem to... You know, Villa are the one paying Traore's wages and... Any internationals? I don't think it will have a massive impact, if I'm being totally honest. I think... The way I look at the season right now, I I do think it's Aston Villa and Tottenham that are going for fifth and fourth. I, I kind of ignore Arsenal, Liverpool and City because I just expect them to kind of grow into the season and slowly but surely kind of build up a bit of a, a lead against us potentially. But yeah, for me, Tottenham and Villa, I just want to improve on what Tottenham do this season. They're, they're our rivals this season for me. So for them to miss Basuma and um, who is the other chap? Son. Son. I think, yeah, that could maybe play a, play a role, but I expect them to win their games at the going to be playing as well. So uh, they're a team that have dealt with um, Basuma not playing. And to be fair, he started the well, started the season well Basuma and then got lots of red cards and suspensions and hasn't done very well since then, obviously. So um, I don't think it'll have a major impact if I'm being totally honest. I think, you know, Son's a very good player, but he might miss like three games, something like that. I think they play Everton at home, Man United away and someone else. And I just feel like they'll be able to get through it. So I don't think it'll have a big difference. I mean, you look at West Ham. I don't know if you watched the game last night, Then I was watching... Uh, the darts and I was watching West Ham on the side but I was barely watching it because it was a shocking game West Ham basically gave up on the 70th minute and just let Brighton batter them and they couldn't score <laughs> but they look really weak without Paqueta and I know he isn't uh, African but um, Kudus as well Aguirre is obviously not going to be there so yeah for Villa it doesn't change we just need to get as many points as we can up until the Conference League starts again and then we can kind of try and juggle everything else that's going to happen in the rest of the season from then on 
Yeah, you've also still got this period where we're halfway through the season. Let's say Liverpool without Salah, Tottenham without Son. Let's say they drop off over the, the next month and Villa pick up points over the next month. And all of a sudden we look in a great place. And the Conference League rolls around again and we might be in the latter stages of the FA Cup, fingers crossed, which we'll talk about in a second as well. Maybe Liverpool and Spurs pick up points in that part of the season when Villa are dropping them. So exactly. still have a long way to go yet, but we'll have that at least a short-term kind of psychological boost that if Spurs do drop off a cliff in the next three or four weeks and Villa keep picking up points, you're suddenly talking about them being rivals but Villa having a seven-point gap on them rather than a three-point gap and how that psychologically affects everybody. Uh, we had three or four more questions but I'm going to have to cut us short and just end with one so I've got to go to the nursery in a second to pick up the little one. Uh, I should have given you this earlier to give you some time to think but we'll have a couple of minutes if we need it. Uh, from Reese. And I'm going to change this from three to one because we can't, I've got time for three. What is your one boldest or just a general prediction to happen during the rest of this season? This doesn't even necessarily need to be Villa if you don't want it to be. To give you a bit of thinking time, we did our big prediction at the start of the season in pre-season, written them down on a piece of paper in an envelope, which I've got in the desk next to me here. I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but I think all three of us were wrong already in like October or something silly. Um, <laughs> so those predictions are out the way, but we will save those till the end of the season. If I've got to ask you now, though, for our first podcast of 2024, for a big or bold prediction for the remainder of 2024 or the 2023-24 season, uh, is anything jumping out at you? I think it would... Oh, I, I'm going to jinx this horribly. I think Villa staying unbeaten at home throughout the whole year could be a possibility. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of games and we've become... You know, Sheffield United nearly beat us the other week. And <laughs> I shouldn't say it I, Newcastle and Man United <laughs> coming up at home with massive games and there we go. It's going to get shot down. But I think that's a, that, that could also be just like a target, genuinely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say something about the Champions League. Well, Ollie Watkins could be, you know, the top scorer, but that's just probably not going to happen because Erling Haaland exists. So, yeah, I think as a genuine possibility and something that could happen that would also be incredible would be yeah, Villa staying and beating throughout the whole season. Uh, sorry, the whole year. And to be fair, I think if we avoid defeat against United, Newcastle and Nottingham Forest, then it will be a 12-month period between March yeah. and March, obviously. So, um, yeah, I think that'll happen as a first, but that's not too kind of out there. But yeah, I'll say and beaten in 2024 at home that could happen yeah it's slightly more out there than I was going to say I was going to say that Villa will only lose one game at home in the rest okay. of the season but right. so to say unbeaten is it's, it's a difficult thing to do 19 games unbeaten is hard but I genuinely agree I think it's possible um, to go different for the sake of argument I'm going to say that Will fin- <laughs> this is so stupid by the way just for the sake of like the ones in the envelope I could throw them away or like change my answer if I really, like, I really wanted to rig it I think we'll finish above Arsenal. As in this season? In the league. This season, 2023-24, I think we'll finish above Arsenal this season. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying that Arsenal are going to finish second, so that means we're going to win the title. I think we'll finish above Arsenal somewhere in the top five. I think Arsenal might finish fourth and Villa might finish third. Okay. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, at the moment, you know... It's a bold prediction, mate. It's bold, bold is bold, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely clip it and get nibbles off Arsenal fans. A lot of them. 
I'll wait till it actually happens before I start clipping it anyway. People have got to listen to an hour's worth of us rattling on before they find that bit. <laughs> yeah, we put it right at the end. Small <laughs> prediction to end the show, but uh, John, thank you for giving me so much of your time. It's been a bumper episode to mark the new year. Obviously, loads discussed with so many different questions to the point that I think we had our most questions sent in this week, and I did have another three or four, but sadly, we've run out of time. Um, if they're generic ones, which I think they probably are, I will save them till next week's episode. Um, so, John, thanks for your time. Thanks, everyone, for watching along with this one get involved in the comment section as always share your answers to some of the things we've debated this afternoon leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you don't mind a five star one would be lovely and some nice words uh, subscribe to our youtube channel follow, follow us on all social media thank you very much for watching it and we'll see you again soon